Well, we just finished up a series uh, from Romans 12 on um, looking at the idea of being a transformed believer and then what that transform how we become transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we looked at how that plays itself out in our individual lives. And now we're going to move into a, kind of a different series, but it, it kind of comes back to one particular aspect of that. The very first one we looked at uh, that's a result of being transformed by the renewing of our mind is how we love. And uh, February is an important month for love. I mean, we have uh, February 14th and Valentine's Day, and, and there's a lot of history behind that day in particular, but it's turned in our culture into a day to celebrate and uh, to say you love someone or have them be your Valentine, which is to uh, signify your love uh, for them. And, and so uh, February can be a, a month for that. And, uh, and as Christians, I think sometimes there's a danger in that um, we hear certain topics in the church a lot. Um, not that that's a bad thing. And I think that love is one of them. You, we hear about the love of God, or we should. Uh, we hear about the love that we're to have for other believers, which we should. Uh, we hear about love we should have for even the lost, which we should. But I think the danger in that is, is that we forget what that really means. We forget that there's supposed to be application to what we know. And so this morning, we're going to kind of move into a series on love. And, and the series is called Love Is, and then we'll finish that sentence every week by looking at, at something different. You know, when I was in college, as a part of my scholarship to, uh, uh, to sing in the choir and the chorality central, um, part of my scholarship required that I took certain, that I would take certain classes towards a minor in music, and one of the classes that I had to take was music history. Now, um, with Dr. Hibbler, okay, I'll, I'll never forget music history with Dr. Hibbler, and all I had heard leading up to this class was how incredibly difficult the class was, and how incredibly boring the class was, and that it would not be a fun class. And now, while I can't say that I overly enjoyed that class, I did learn some things about the history of music. And one of the lessons that I learned was how dramatic uh, of a change music has underwent over the centuries. And, um, and, and up until the 20th century, you could almost label the centuries by their music. For example, um, you had the Renaissance period of music, which actually lasted two centuries, from the 1400s to the 1600s. Then you had the Baroque period, which started in the 1600s. And then in the 1700s, you had classical music became the norm. And then in the 1800s, it was Romanticism, or the Romantic movement, or Romantic period of music. But then the 1900s hit, and from 1900, to 2000, there was such a dramatic change in music that you couldn't label that century by any one particular style. As a matter of fact, you can go back and you can almost label every decade a different style of music. We had the ragtime, and then the swing, and then the jazz, and then you go on into rock and roll, and then into other kinds of emphasis. But there was so much music that was developed in the 19th century, or the 20th century, sorry, in the 1900s, 
that, that we didn't have before, that, that exploded, if you will, over the last 100 and 110 years. But despite all of the changes that have taken place in music from, from the beginning of time till now, and especially the ever-changing, ever-evolving music industry of today, there has been one theme that has remained a constant. There has always been one theme that no matter what genre of music it is, there's always some music dedicated to this theme, and that's the theme of love. No matter what you do, you can go all the way back in the, in the 1900s, and you can look at the, the different types of music, the different styles, and there is always, an, always a place uh, for love songs in that genre. Yesterday on the way home, I was coming back from McAllister, and, and, uh, and, and I grew up uh, listening to oldies. What I call oldies, by the way, are 50s, 60s, and 70s. My kids call the 90s and 80s oldies, and that really makes me feel bad. But I call oldies 50s, 60s, and 70s because I listened to an oldies station growing up. So I like that kind of music. And, and coming back yesterday, I was listening to the Beatles uh, radio station, and they had the top 50 love songs of the Beatles. There, there's just love has always been a theme. Even in rap music, there is a theme for love, not in every song, but in that genre of music. There's always songs about love. You know, it has been said that in our culture, three of the most powerful words in English are the words, I love you. It's an important aspect of who we are. I don't think there's anything that brightens my day personally more than when someone tells me they love me. When my day's rough or, or things are hard, when my wife says she loves me, or when my kids come running up who have no earthly idea what I may have been through that day, and I may not know anything about what they've been through that day, they run up and just say they love me. I don't think there's anything that brightens my day any more than that. This morning, I want to start a little series out of 1 Corinthians 13, looking at this idea of love or called love is and it is my prayer that as we go through this over the next three weeks that we will find some incredible truths about love but also how love should uh, characterize our lives truthfully and so to do that i want us to look at one of the most famous and beautiful chapters i believe in all of scripture and that is first corinthians chapter 13 so if you have your bibles i'm asking if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of god's word this morning in first corinthians 13. I'm actually going to I'm going to go back and start in verse 29 of chapter 12 and then I'm going to read down through verse 3 of chapter 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 29 says this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all miracle workers? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the greatest gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And that is the point right that leads into 1 Corinthians 13, which is one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture. It's Paul describing to them a more excellent way or a greater way. Look at verse 1. He says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge and through, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word and now as we begin to examine it this morning, 
I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, you know where each and every one of us are today, and I pray that you'd meet us at our point of need, that we would be forever changed through encountering you through your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most beautiful and most famous chapters in all the Bible. It's very well known as the love chapter uh, because starting in verse 4, he's going to basically define love, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But, but I wonder if that in our, in our Christian walk or in our church lives, especially if you've been in church for a long time, I wonder if we have really stopped to ponder the meanings of this chapter. Or has it become just the, a cliche, love is patient, love is kind, and we can recite it, but we may, not, we may not really ponder its deep meaning. And so I really want us to do that uh, this morning. Before we can do that and we can dive into the text, it's really important that we look at one particular thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I think we need to understand it. And that is what, is, what is Paul talking about when he says love? He says, though I do all this stuff, if I have not love, I am nothing or I profit nothing. So, and he's going to talk about love throughout the remaining part of the chapter. What is this type of love? Now, if you were here in the series on transformation that we just did, we talked about the different aspects of love in Scripture. And I'm not going to go all the way back into detail, but I do want to share with you what they mean because there are a lot of different ways we use the word love today. I mean, I love my wife, I love my kids, uh, I love my biscuits dipped in gravy, I love, you know, different things. I, we, we use the word love to signify a lot of things. And I really hope, I, I mean, I, I hope that I love my wife differently than I love my dog, okay? I really hope that I have a different kind of love for food than I do for my children, okay? But we use that word a lot for a lot of different meanings, but what does Paul mean? Is he talking about what kind of love is he talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, he's talking about the same kind of love that he was talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, let love be without hypocrisy, and that is the Greek word agape. Now, there are four Greek words for, for love that you'll find in the Greek language. There's eros, which is sexual love. There's, there's storge, which is friendly love or friendly affection. And then there's philos or phylos, which is family love, like brotherly love. And then there's agape love. And they all mean something different. And the word that Paul is using in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape love. Now, agape love is, is the love that comes from God. It is always used to describe the love of God. Okay, that's the kind of love God has and that we are to have. And, and this type of love is a love that, that um, it, it, it's in spite of whatever going on around us. It, it, it's, not, it's not love that is restricted to certain things. It, it's we don't have to have certain things in return in order to give this kind of love. Agape love is the love that reaches out to another person with no strings attached. It, it doesn't require anything in return. It is a love that sacrifices itself on behalf of the one that, 
is love with no thought of what might be received in return. And we've seen that by the love of God. We know that's the love God has for us because that's what he did in Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 5 that God proved or God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God gave regardless of whether or not we are going to respond or that everybody will or won't respond. So agape love, I believe, is love that starts with God. It comes down to us, and then it is the love that is to move out of us to other people, as talked about here in 1 Corinthians. And, And Paul starts off by telling us, I believe, a really simple and yet profound truth about it, and that is whatever I do or whatever I say, it is all useless unless it is done in love because love is greater. Love is greater. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has gone to great lengths to talk about spiritual gifts. And in our church, if you've been here uh, at least more than two or three years, I think three years ago, I did an entire series on spiritual gifts. I believe spiritual gifts are important to the church. I believe they ought to be used by the church. I believe one of the things that we're robbed of in the church is the lack of use of spiritual gifts when people aren't here to use them. I believe they're important. But Paul says, in spite of the importance of all the spiritual gifts that there are, in spite of uh, whether or not this is greater or that's greater, he goes, he tells them that none are greater than the other. Basically, what is, what is the body without all? You have to have all to function. He goes into this whole process in 1 Corinthians 12, and then he comes and he says, but yet, in spite of all this, I want to show you something greater than all of that. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Love, he's telling us, love is greater. And in verses 1 through 3, he reveals three truths I want to give to you real quick this morning uh, before we dismiss about the superiority of love in our lives. Number one, love is greater than eloquent speech or eloquent communication. Love is greater than your ability to talk well. Notice how I use proper English there. Talk well, not talk good. <laughs> That's not the right English. It doesn't, you, can, you can be the best orator in the world. You can make no grammatical, you, you could make absolutely zero grammatical errors in your speech. But without love, it's nothing. Because love is greater than your speech. Look at verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. Now, like that, that when he's talking about angels there, he's talking about heavenly sayings, things that would be contributed to, to, to being pure and great and holy. He says, Though I, I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clinging symbol. Have you ever tried to speak a foreign language? You know, when I was in high school, I, I did study a little bit of Spanish, okay? Um, now, Jenna knows a lot more than I do. Um, but if I was to go where there's a Spanish-speaking uh, people and that's all they could speak, I, I have enough Spanish to tell them where I'm from. I can um, ask them how they're doing, and I can ask where the bathroom is. That's about the gist of what I can speak in Spanish. Though I, in my class, I had to memorize List upon list upon list of Spanish words. But here I am 20 years later, and and I don't hardly remember much about it, just a little bit here and there. Now, what does that have to do with our love being greater? Well, here's the deal. Without love, it doesn't matter how many languages you can speak. It doesn't matter how eloquently you can communicate or, or your 
message. You can be the greatest in the world at talking. You can know every language on the face of the planet and be able to walk from this place onto an airplane and go anywhere in the world and be able to communicate the gospel with anybody because you know every language there is to know and you know the truths of God's word. You can do all of that, but he's saying it is ineffective if you don't do it in love. The, the point, now I want you to know, this point would have really hit home with this culture. Because to the church in Corinth, very similar to the church in, in, Roman, in, in the Roman Empire, anyone who had eloquence of speech was highly admired. They were looked very well upon. They, they were respected. They were considered uh, eloquent. They were given lots of accolades, if you will. And so Paul is saying, listen, you can be the greatest speaker in the world, but if you don't speak it in love, it's worthless. And so he's reminding the church that you can do all of this stuff. You can speak, but without love, it means nothing. You know, I have a friend who uh, is, uh, he's involved in the uh, abolitionist movement, which is a movement right now that is setting out for the sole purpose of abolishing Abortion, just abolishing it. Now, here's the deal. Both he and I agree on principle. We both are pro-life. We both agree that abortion is wrong and it shouldn't be allowed. It's murder in our opinion. That's the way we believe the Bible says. We both agree on that. But the manner in which we have taken our message out is different. His message from time to time comes across very angry very hurtful, not received very well. And I have had to remind him in our talk, it, you, you don't have to, you can be right, but without love, you're not being effective. Because all you're doing is giving Satan a, a grasp for that Satan to be able to tell that person, see the church, they really don't love you. All they care about is telling you how wrong you are how evil you are for what you're doing. Now, I told you, I agree. I don't believe it's right. I personally believe that abortion is wrong. I believe it is evil. But how far do we get by just going out and Bible thumping them and telling them they're evil? You see, we've got to be able to, 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 to speak the truth, yes, in love. Because without speaking the truth in love, all you're doing is this. I don't know about you, but if I, did, if I had a drumstick, I'd have made it a lot louder, but I don't have one. But that's exactly what he says. Now, I've got a son that is considered playing the drums, and I really, really don't want to. Why? Because lots of reasons, but I don't like the cymbals because they are nothing to me but noise. And we, in marching band at East Central, we had kids on scholarship to play the cymbals. And I thought that was the most worthless waste of money ever because it's a cymbal. And then I don't understand it. It's just a gong. It's just noise. And that's what Paul says you're being. If you talk great, but without love, you're just noise. And you're not getting anywhere. You see, it's hard for people to see the truth when you come at them from an aspect that's not loving. And so Paul's saying, listen, in all these spiritual gifts, he's talked about some of these. He's talked about prophecy. He's talked about preaching. He's talked about serving and teaching. All these things. He says, listen, you can, you can have all of that. But if you don't have love, you're absolutely nothing when it comes to your speaking. 
Why? Because love is greater than your great speeches. Number two, verse two tells us that love is greater than our spiritual gifts. Look at verse two. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and I have all knowledge and I have all faith that can move mountains. I mean, he's piggybacking off Jesus here. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain get up and move, and it would move. That, he's piggybacking off that. So you can, you, you, you can prophesy, you can preach, man, you can proclaim the truths of God. You're smart, you have knowledge, you have all this understanding, and you have faith that's so great that you can make the ground move. He says, but have not love. I am absolutely nothing. I'm absolutely Now, Paul mentions three particular spiritual gifts here that he's previously discussed. Prophecy, referring to the ability to declare God's truth in a powerful and life-changing way. Knowledge would involve deep understanding of the Word of God and the truths of God's Word. Faith is the unique ability to trust God for great things. Now, listen, that is actually a spiritual gift. We're all required to have faith. There is no way to come to Christ without faith. But there are people that are supernaturally gifted with a gift of faith where it's just who they are. They have no trouble trusting God. They have a supernatural faith, if you will. That's a spiritual gift. We all require to have faith, but there are people with a spiritual gift of faith that is strong, and we need those people in the church, by the way, because we need them. But he says these three gifts are all from the Holy Spirit, and yet Paul says without love, the person who has them is absolutely nothing. I like like the New Living Translation of this verse. Let me read what the New Living Translation, how it quotes this verse. It says, If I had the gift of prophecy, and I knew all the mysteries of the future, and I knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would I be? If I knew everything, and had all knowledge, and could preach, and had faith that it was all going to happen, and I knew everything about everything, I would still be nothing without love. Why is that? Because the, the term everything about everything literally meant having all knowledge about all things, but that alone is not enough. Paul says you have to have love also. Now, I want you to know in, in my seminary studies, uh, majoring in or, or focusing on apologetics, this is one of the first principles that my primary apologetics professor taught. He taught this. He, he, this is, I want to give you a quote. I wrote it down so I would never forget it. He says this. No matter how much you come to know, or how right you are, or that you know you are, don't ever stop loving others. Your knowledge might intrigue them, but your love is what will win them. Because it's the love of God that wins people to Him. True knowledge leads to an encounter with true love that comes from God. I, was, I, I wrote that down. I never wanted to forget it. Because here's the thing about apologetics. If you don't know what that is, that's basically studying and being able to give an answer to anyone for, the, for your faith, no matter what they come from, no matter what direction, whether or not they have doubts through science, through history, through anything. You study to be able to give a reason for your answer, for your faith, no matter where they come from in their question. And when you get involved in a study like apologetics, it's easy to gain all the knowledge you need, but you're gaining knowledge not to win them with the love of God. You gain knowledge so you can go out there and debate them and argue with them. 
But I want you to know something. You can't argue someone into heaven. At some point, they are going to have to take a step of faith. And I want you to know that step of, step of faith, if you read Lee Strobel, can very much be used through evidence. I believe that. But the evidence that Lee Strobel, what led him to and to make the decision was the evidence didn't just lead him to the knowledge there was a God. He, it led him to know that, the, that God loved him enough to send his son to die on the cross. And then he proved, the evidence proves God's salvation and sacrifice on the cross through Jesus. And that's what led him to trust God. It's not just an evidence that God's out there somewhere in the ether that exists. It's the fact that this God loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross for you. So you can have all the information in the world, but if that information doesn't lead them to an encounter with the love of God, then you've missed it. And that's what Paul's saying. You can know everything about everything. You can be a great preacher. You can even have faith that's strong enough to tell that mountain to move, and it will. But if you go out and you do this without love, you are nothing. Why? Because love is greater than our gifts. And then number three, he says love is greater than our sacrifice. Look at verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my entire body to the flames or to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, this verse, I think, really poses a problem because it, it asks us to ponder some activities that we would automatically consider noble. I mean, think about it. Giving to the poor is a good thing. We're told to do so, okay? Um, dying for your faith is the ultimate sacrifice as a believer. And anyone who gives to the poor and sacrifices their life for the faith I would consider noble. I would consider great. But Paul says you can do both of those, but if you do it without love, you gain nothing. See, here's the truth. We may give to worthy causes for unworthy reasons. You see, we may give to the poor because it makes us look good or feel good. We, we may even give our lives up, which this would be an extreme case, I'm sure, but we may even give our lives for a reason other than love for Christ and for people to hear the gospel. And what he's saying is you can give out of guilt or, or you may want to just follow the crowd so you do this stuff or uh, we, maybe you seek the praise of men or for some other earthly goal. But if you do any of these things for all those reasons, the people on the receiving end will be blessed, but it actually profits you nothing. There's a the story told, I'm pretty much close. I want to close with this for the most part. Um, if you've ever read, uh, there's two, two volumes of it. It's called Jesus Freaks. Um, and, and Jesus Freaks is basically a modern-day Fox's book of martyrs. If you're an older person, you've probably read that. Jesus Freaks is pretty much the same thing, and it is stories about people who have given their life for the faith. And when I think about this, about what Paul says, if you, if you give to the poor, that's a great thing, or if, you, or if you give your life to be burned at the stake, but you have not loved, you gain nothing. I think about a story of a, a group, and it happened, I believe, in China uh, in the 
1870s, somewhere in there. Uh, I could get the date wrong, but it, it's in Fox's Book of Mark, or it's in, uh, sorry, The Jesus Freaks, Volume 1. And uh, it's a story about, um, in China, about an underground church that was meeting. And uh, these people came in and invaded the church. And the, the commander of the, the military that came in and broke the church up and told them that, um, that they had to d- disperse, what he actually said was, is if you're here and you don't believe in God or Jesus, you can leave. And almost everybody got up and left. But there was a core group of people that stayed. And he told them again, I'm giving you one more chance. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, and you don't believe in Jesus, you can leave unharmed. But if you stay, you're going to die. A few more people left. And he ended up with about 12, 13 people that stayed. And then he looked at them and he said, okay, now we can worship. I never will forget that story. There's so many applications to that, but you know what I get out of it? What if the military man had been serious? What if one of those people that left stayed because of peer pressure or stayed and because it was the thing to do and gave their life for Christ without ever even knowing Christ? It would profit them absolutely nothing. See, Paul is telling us that all of this stuff may be good, although you may be doing it for a wrong reason, that'd be bad. But even if you are a believer and you give yourself to the stake or you, or you give everything you have to the poor, if you do it without love, you're, you're gaining nothing. You see, I, I can pretty much summarize it like this. I, I believe that what Paul's saying is love is greater than our speech, love is greater than our gifts, and love is greater than our sacrifice. And without love, I ought not say anything uh, or I say nothing, I am nothing, and I gain nothing without love because love is greater. Now, next week, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper, and we're going to begin to look at, at that love, the way Paul defines it, and how that looks in our life, and we'll talk about that next week.